0: Thank you so much, uh, Maritza, for allowing us to use your video testimony this morning. Uh, I remembered it from uh, back last year uh, when we were in in, uh, quarantine, and uh, you gave it then. And, uh, you know, I just really thought it was impactful, and so I appreciate that. And uh, as Terry mentioned, that's something we're going to try to do once a month, and so uh, we're looking forward to uh, seeing and hearing from others in our church family and uh, hearing about your spiritual journey and how the Lord has touched your life as well. Um, before we get started, let's, uh, let's go ahead and go, go to God in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this opportunity, dear Lord, to stand before your people and just speak a word on uh, your behalf, Father. Uh, I'm really not worthy, dear God. I'm not sufficient, dear God, to uh, express the things that need to be expressed. But Father, we just ask, dear God, that you would take it and uh, that you would... Uh, just bring before us those things, dear Lord, that we need to hear this morning, and we just pray, dear God, that, uh, that, that you will use me, Father, in that process. Thank you, God, once again for the opportunities, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, as you can see on the screen there, uh, I've got Genesis chapters 6 through 9, that's, that's four chapters, uh, you know, and uh, uh, I just thought to myself, I'm going to have to show these other preachers how to cover four chapters in 20 minutes. Uh, I can I can see now that they need a little instruction on brevity and uh, how to keep things short and I'm just going to show them how it's done this morning. Uh, but really <laughs> having said that, uh, I really struggled with uh, what to bring out of these chapters. We all know of the uh, flood story. I think we're all familiar with it. Uh, certainly uh, in one way or another we've probably heard it uh, many times but I'm Hope to just share just a few points out of uh, these chapters that'll uh, that'll help us, that'll uh, bring us along in our journey. Um, I really, really enjoyed our Genesis study. I I love this type of study where we're really focused on certain books of the Bible, uh, certain you know these Bible stories and things like that uh, that really are our stories in our journey with the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, how uh, God has brought us from, uh, from creation to where we are today and how to live for him and follow him. Uh, and I really, really enjoy that. And so looking back, uh, we started just a few weeks ago. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, I believe Luke talked to us about uh, the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, then in Genesis chapter 2, Uh, we find the creation of mankind. Uh, God created them male and female, and what's important about that is that he created us uh, in his image. We are the image bearers of Almighty God, and that's important. It's important for us to recognize that and to think about uh, who God created us to be. Uh, Now, In the beginning, uh, of course, God's creation was good. God saw that he had made and saw that it was very good. But then in chapter 3, we see things take a turn for uh, the worst. Uh, The enemy in the form of a serpent uh, enters the picture, uh, tempting humanity to sin against God, uh, which, of course, set in motion uh, the Lord's warning that in the day that you eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, You shall surely die. And thus, with that, that temptation and that fall, sin entered the world along with death by sin. Well, then in chapter 4, we begin to see the impact that sin has on humanity. Uh, Cain murders his brother Abel, and things began to go downhill from there until we reach chapter 6, which is where our study is going to take place today. Now, I want you to think for just a moment about uh, who might be considered the most wicked person in all of history. And we might come up with uh, names like Adolf Hitler, of course, who uh, ordered the extermination of over six million Jews during the course of World War II. Or perhaps you might think of someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, who was a notorious serial killer. Or perhaps it was Osama bin Laden, uh, the founder of the Al Qaeda terrorist organization that was responsible for the 9-11 attacks on our nation. But then I want you to imagine the presence of that type of evil in not just one individual, but in all of humanity. That's how Genesis chapter 6 characterizes the world Of Noah's day. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In other words, only evil all the time. The earth was filled with violence, the Bible tells us, and all flesh, that is, all of mankind, had corrupted their way on the earth. We might say that in that, that the cup of sinfulness in mankind had been filled to the brim and even overflowed. That's the picture that those early verses of Genesis chapter 6 paint for us, a sinful world full of sin, full of violence, and an existence in all of mankind. And as a result, the Bible says that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him in his heart, and he was sorry that he made man. Those are really just some solemn, somber words that we read in the Bible. And I want to stop here and notice that, you know, we share some common emotions with God. And once again, that's all just a part of us being image bearers made in the image of God. We share some emotions with him. In this text, we see that the Lord regrets we see that the Lord God he grieves and we see that he sorrows and we recognize all of these as very human emotions and this might just highlight the fact that we are created in the image of God we sometimes have regret and we have that because God does. Uh, We sometimes have grief in our life because once again God grieves and we experience sorrow because, as we see here in this text, God sorrows. Now, the difference comes in that God is abundantly able to do something about the things that bring about these difficult emotions, and, you know, that's something I learned in our uh, EHR class over the past week, that, you know, these aren't negative emotions, but they're difficult emotions you know in other words they're a little bit more difficult for us to handle than things like joy and happiness and things of that nature so these are difficult emotions and so we notice that the things that I regret in my life you know I'm really not always able to do something about those things that are that I regret in my life I can't always change them but God is able to do that Uh, the things that make us sorrowful we can't always undo but because of who God is he is able to change things he's able to undo things and the things that make a difference uh, where we often can't God is able to make a difference and so that's the difference we share some emotions with God but God is able to change things and to make a difference to undo the things that make him sorrowful that make him grieve and so when God sees things spinning out of control in the world that he has created, he decides to act in the presence of all this evil and violence that was present in the world at that time. Uh, the Bible tells us in Genesis 6, verse 17, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life unto heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. In Genesis chapter 7 and verse 4, for in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. I'm going to have to put my glasses on here. I'm sorry. (laughs) It just isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. Now, I think it's worth mentioning here this morning that there are various schools of thought regarding the flood narrative that we see in Scripture. You know, the Bible describes the flood as a worldwide event that impacted the entire earth. And, you know, we think about that, that would mean, obviously, that even this ground that this building stands on where we are today would have been underwater at that time. But then there is at least some evidence that the flood was a more localized event that only affected the region around Mesopotamia which of course that is where all the world's population lived at that particular time. Well uh, as Luke mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago it really doesn't matter which view you might think is right. Uh, As he said there's room at the table for both sides. You see the fact is that the Bible is not a book of world geography You know, that's not what the Bible was written for to tell us about the geography of the planet or things like that. Nor is it really a book of world history, although it does tell us some historical things about our world. But the Bible is a book that teaches us about God and about his relationship to mankind. And I think it's important that we understand that exactly why the Bible was written to tell us about our Creator and also how he relates to us and how he impacts our life and how we can draw near and close to him. And so one thing I think that we can learn from the flood narrative in Genesis is that God hates sin and rebellion. And while we know that God is long-suffering and merciful, this story should teach us that God will ultimately judge and punish sinfulness. And that's exactly what we see happening here. God sees this rampant sin and wickedness that is going on in the world and he determines that he's going to wash the whole world clean by flood and start over with Noah and his family. Now another point I want to make right here is that uh, God is determined to destroy not just mankind but all flesh, Uh, birds, animals, uh, even plant life included. And the question might be asked, well, you know, what did the animal world do wrong? Why are they included in this? Why should they suffer for the sins of humanity? You know, I'm not really totally sure, but the one thing it says to me is that the destiny of all of creation is bound together uh, with the fate of the animal world, and it was all intertwined with the fate of mankind. Uh, You know, for instance, what it tells us, and we see this all the time, is that when humanity messes up, when mankind messes up, the whole world suffers. The animal world suffers, plant life suffers, the seas suffered, it all suffers together. You know, matter of fact, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was an uh, oil spill off the California coast, and they're sure that it was caused by man because, you know, there were ships out there. They believe that uh, one of the ships dropped anchor and drug across the uh, pipeline and broke the pipeline. And you know, that wasn't just impactful for mankind, for us, because it robbed us of resources and even food or whatever the case may be, but also uh, it really impacted the animal life that lives in that area. You know, the, the, the fish, the birds around that area, they always suffer when mankind messes up. And you know, If man's foolishness destroys a nation or a country through war or whatever the case may be, the animal population in that country is going to suffer as well. But I want us to know and understand that I believe that the reverse is true also. You know, this passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, where the apostle Paul said, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is telling us, among other things, his passage teaches us, that in the end, when the Lord returns, all of creation will be liberated from the effects of man's sinfulness. In other words, it's going to be a great and joyous day, not just for us, but the Bible says that all creation has been groaning in pains of childbirth and waiting for the liberation of the children of God. And so you see that uh, just like we see back in the days of Noah... Everything suffered because of man's sinfulness. Violence filled the earth. The animals didn't have anything to do with it, but they suffered along with sinful man. The next point that I want to make, and I think it's important for all of us, but I believe that it's especially important for the young people of our church family to take note of this. You know, in the midst of all the wickedness and violence and evil that was present, with all of the human race. The Bible says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I don't know what the world population was like back then. I don't know if it was thousands or hundreds of thousands or perhaps even millions. But in all the world's population, the Bible tells us that one man stood out and found favor with God. Now, this wasn't just God arbitrarily picking someone but God saw something in Noah that he didn't see in anyone else verse 9 says that Noah was a righteous man that he was blameless in his generation it says that Noah walked with God and you know that's familiar to us because we see that uh with Enoch back in chapter 5 the Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God we know that in the beginning uh with adam and eve that you know that they had intimacy with god they walked with god you know the bible uh, we 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 think about them as uh, walking with god and you know each and every morning in the cool of the day in the garden so there was intimacy there there was relationship between them and that's exactly what we see with noah Noah walked with God, the Bible tells us. Verse 22 of our text says that Noah did all that God commanded him. In other words, that tells to us that Noah was obedient to the words of God. He obeyed God. And the point is this, that even while surrounded by sin and rebellion on all sides, uh, Noah managed to live a life that was characterized as righteous before God. And beloved, this morning, if Noah was able to do that, then by the grace of God, you and I can do that as well. You know, so oftentimes, you know, we look at our world and we look at our society, we think about it, we talk about how evil it is and how wicked it is and how much sin there is. And beloved, you know what? Even in the midst of all that, Noah shows us and teaches us that we can stand apart we can stand separate from the violence and the wickedness that exists in our world and in our society today. And to our young people as well, you know, you can stand out. Uh, you don't have to get into the things or get caught up in mean and mischievous behavior like so many of your peers often do. Uh, you know, you don't have to follow a path of rebellion and violence that we see far too often in our schools and in our society. You know just a couple of weeks ago uh, down at the high school in Mansfield you know there was a, a, a shooting there and I think I be- was, believe it was four people were actually were actually shot then and you know all that took place um, and you know when I when I saw it on, on the news and they showed video of all that taking place I thought to myself how violent it is uh, in the schools today, you know, uh, hey, you know, it's, it's not that much different. You know, There was we had fights and stuff like that in school back then, but I don't remember anybody shooting anybody back then, you know. And so it just tells us that that, uh, that that violence is growing, it's heightened, uh, you know, and it just really shows us about how things are. But, beloved, to all of us, our young people especially, You can distance yourself from that. By the grace of God, you can stand up and stand out for righteousness by God's grace. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through verse 15, Paul said to the Philippian church, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Verse 15 notices, that you might be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul said, you know what? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, you can shine as lights in the world and you know what Noah stood out from those around him a world full of wickedness and violence and yet the Bible tells us that Noah was righteous in his generation in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 the Bible tells us that uh, it calls Noah uh, that the, the Bible says that God preserved Noah a herald or a preacher of righteousness and, you know, look at that text, chapter 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. And, you know, when we look at that text, you know, I don't know if Noah was actively uh, preaching uh, righteousness or urging righteousness to those around him, uh, or was it that his example stood out. It might just be that he was a herald of righteousness, he was a preacher of righteousness, and that his character, his conduct, stood in such sharp contrast to those around him that it actually was uh, almost like he was a preacher of righteousness. But either way, whether by word or example, Noah managed to find favor with God. And while we are certainly saved by grace, God is calling us to that same standard of righteousness that Noah exhibited. Well, the Bible tells us that the earth was underwater for over 150 days. Noah and his family, along with a remnant of the animal world, were confined in the ark for just over a year. But then in chapter 8, and verse 1, the Bible says, but God remembered Noah. Now, understand that this doesn't mean that God somehow had forgotten about Noah and then suddenly had an aha moment. Oh, I forgot Noah was there, back there in the ark. I need to do something. But you know, when the Bible says that God remembers someone, it means that God is ready to act in their favor. For example, uh, we see the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 2, 23 and 24 The Bible says, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, God never forgot his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He never forgot his chosen people. But when the Bible says that he remembered his covenant, it simply means that he now he was ready to act in their behalf. After 400 years of Egyptian bondage, God remembered his people. Now he's ready to act in their favor. And my point is that God still remembers his covenants, he still remembers the righteous, and he still remembers those who are his. Psalms chapter 5 and verse 12 says, It says, You bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favor as with a shield. In 1 Peter 3 and 12, uh, you know, Peter quoting the psalmist said, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. And beloved, know that there will certainly be times where we will have to endure floods and storms in our lives just like Noah did. But even in those times, know that God loves us. He cares about us. God is for us. God remembers his people. And so God remembered Noah. God acted in Noah's favor. He allowed the waters to recede, and ultimately he allowed Noah and his family to come out of the ark. In Genesis chapter 8, Verse 18 through 22, the Bible says, So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. after spending, once again, a little over a year on the ark was an act of worship. He built an altar and offered burnt offerings that sent a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You know, and it's noteworthy that even after this cleansing of earth by flood, that God understood that the heart of mankind was unchanged. The intention of his heart Is evil from its youth. In other words, the flood was not a cure for the sins of mankind. Yet it seems that this pleasing aroma from Noah's sacrifice soothed the heart of God, and now God makes a promise that there will not be another flood like the one of Noah's day. Noah's sacrifice preserved the earth from any future worldwide flooding like we saw back in the days of Noah. And of course, God made a covenant with Noah that that would not happen again. But more than that, I believe that Noah's sacrifice was a preview of a greater sacrifice that would come much later in the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ offered himself on the cross at Calvary, A sacrifice that would once again soothe the wrath of God against sinful man in a sinful world. In 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 John wrote, my little children I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation that is he is the atoning sacrifice he is the Soothing sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Noah offered a pleasing sacrifice to God. Jesus Christ, when he offered himself at Calvary, offered a sacrifice that pleased God. And we are still feeling the effects of that sacrifice today and that we are children of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I certainly pray that maybe I've said some things, that brought some things forth from this Genesis account that would help us in our journey uh, as we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you this morning.